Thank you for tuning in and welcome back to the Reinvention Roadmap. Our guest this week has decided to paint the town red and green and blue and yellow and every other color. She's a muralist, an illustrator, an artist who works out of Chicago. Please welcome Ali Cantarella. Hey Ali, thank you so much for joining. <laughs> thank you. That was such a nice introduction. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I can hear Chicago in the background. Yeah, I'm sorry. I wasn't sure if you caught that or not, but I am truly right in downtown Chicago with the ambulances and the traffic and everything that comes with it. <laughs> so it's really awesome to have you on the show. And I have been endlessly scrolling through your Instagram because your art is so wonderful and I'm a huge fan already. So tell me about, Thank you. Tell me about uh, who your major inspirations are for your artwork. So I am surprisingly more inspired by wallpaper and interior design repeat patterns for textiles fabrics upholstery the mural work that i do is kind of repeat patterns of large blown out florals and while i do them on exteriors such as utility boxes storm drains garage doors I also do a lot of interiors for people's walls and bedrooms and kitchens. So I don't draw as much inspiration from like classic street art. Uh, a lot of it is truly like Pinterest magazines, what's trending with interior design, home spaces, things like that. Every artist has a different process with respect to inspiration and you don't have to make the process so mechanical that it's not fun for you. Whatever inspires you is what produces beautiful art. So well said. So how did you get into mural painting? Did you paint too many walls as a kid? <laughs> no, not at all. I was actually a very two-dimensional artist. I don't mean that as a person. I mean on paper. <laughs> I did a lot of illustration for comics and kids' books, a little bit of digital work. But with the start of the COVID pandemic, the comic cons that I would go to, the art shows that I would go to were all closed. And so I found myself without as much of an audience and without as much work and spending a lot more time in my own studio, which had a blank wall. And I guess after spending so much time in my studio, I saw an opportunity to brighten up the space and I asked my landlord if I could paint the wall. They said yes. And it started from there. So it started in an internal space and has since expanded out. That's amazing because I thought you might have had this, this skill of doing murals for like years and years on end. And, and I found something like painting a wall or doing a mural, like an intimidating thing. But like hearing your story makes me maybe want to try it. So if you had some advice for yeah. someone who is starting off as a muralist or someone who's thinking of experimenting by painting a wall, what would you tell them? Oh, that's such a good question. Because yeah, it's really, in my experience, not as hard as it seems. It's just big. So a lot of the skill comes from scaling up. So I would definitely say have a strong idea of what you want to paint by sketching it out, drawing it out on your iPad or whatever platform you use for artwork even just pen and paper using like a grid so that you can then scale up where maybe one inch equals one foot and you mock everything out on the wall. 
I would also give the advice that you really don't use as much paint as you think you're going to use. When you're painting a wall with rollers, you go through so much paint. The roller sucks up a lot of the paint. You want a really smooth, even coverage. You want one color without any inconsistency. But when you're doing a mural, it's little blocks of color. It's applied by brush, which is a lot more forgiving. So don't go crazy with the paint or you'll have a lot of leftover like I do. But that could be used as raw material for like big portraits and whatnot. Is the kind of paint uh, different for yeah. a wall mural or do you use acrylics or something like that? Yeah, so this has been a fun learning curve for me. I use bare professional grade interior paints for my wall murals, which is the same that you might use for uh, painting a wall, actually, if you were doing a home remodeling project. Uh, it's smudge proof and light fast and goes on really nicely, comes in a bunch of colors. But when you're doing exterior murals, this has been the hardest learning curve. You have to deal with the weather, the elements, sun will damage a lot of the color. So I've been using Rust-Oleum uh, enamel paints, which are different than acrylic. I've also heard recommended the Molotow brand, which is a spray paint that is utilized by a lot of street artists, but it is water-based, so that's different. I personally haven't used it, but lots of street artists use that to great success. Got it. If you could walk me through what your process is when you do a mural painting, that'd be awesome. Like what, what do you use to inspire you? As you mentioned, you, maybe you use Pinterest or something like that, but do you have a ritual or something you have to do like an intention setting process and whatnot? That'd be great if you could walk me through it. Yeah, it's really nice to think about an actual project. Cause even though I say I'm very inspired by home interiors or like uh, Pinterest, a lot of inspiration does come from nature itself, like the true actual florals that I might be painting. So a lot of my process is going for walks and I might see a flower that's very inspiring or nice. Recently, I did one that had lilacs and hydrangeas. Oh, I love hydrangeas. And so seeing those actual blooms. Yeah, they're so like puffy and just inviting, <laughs> like you want to put your face in them. Yeah, they're a good flower. <laughs> So I will talk with a client, get their specs for the wall and the space. I'll get a good photograph. I use the iPad and so I'll draw up a digital mock-up using the colors I would use overlaid on the actual photo of the space. Once we have everything confirmed and they're always really excited about it, I'll purchase the paints. We'll set up a time and a date. When I get there, we tape off all the edges. I say we because my boyfriend partner is a very important part of this process. He helps me tape up the edges, carries the ladder, different things that would be hard for me. And once the wall is set and clean, the tape is on, the paints are set out, the boyfriend leaves, and I put a Stephen King audiobook on. <laughs> And I just paint. Yeah, he's like my guy. He, <laughs> Stephen King audiobooks have taken me through so many beautiful murals. He's just a very reliable storyteller. Long books that I can count on for like 48 hours to listen to while I'm working. And there's just something very comforting about a surreal 
kind of macabre story while I'm painting like some beautiful, delicate that's, florals. That's hilarious because I would think I would lose my, I'd probably yeah. lose my shit if something goes down in a Stephen King novel. <laughs> so, have you read much of his work? I've seen, seen the movies. movies. Like, I do intend reading yeah. some of his work soon, but uh, I saw the first and the second uh, it movie, and I must say, the second one wasn't as great. <laughs> I think they ran out of source material. Well, there's no way because that book is so long. It's fascinating to me that I think it's impossible to really represent a Stephen King book properly. So weirdly, part of my ritual ends up being that I'll listen to a specific book during a mural. And then when I'm done with the mural, as a reward to myself, I watch the movie of the book and I'm always sitting there with like eating popcorn, drinking whiskey and being disappointed in the movie version oh, of the book. Tell me about it. Still recovering from Game of Thrones. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's just, it's, they're never going to mm -hmm. do it justice. I must say watching you paint those leaves and those flowers is very satisfying, especially when you do the stem of the leaves and stuff. I, it's very meditative and therapeutic. Have you found artistic expression to be very healing and help you get through a certain process that you've been having a difficult time with? Yes, that's like a really wonderful question because I feel that most people could benefit from any type of artistic expression, not related to it being their job or being what most people consider good. Uh, big air quotes there for those of you listening. When I was doing comics and children's books, it's a very small, isolating experience. You work on a desk, on a piece of paper or a tablet. It's a lot of small wrist movements and hunched over on your desk. And honestly, that was not very good for my body. Moving into murals was very meditative and very therapeutic because you're using your whole form. I'm having to stand, squat, sit, stretch, climb ladders, climb down ladders while balancing paint. And there's something really nice about using your whole body to create art that's fully encompassing and large. And then when I get into the line work of the stems or the petals, that is very meditative. You're following a line repeated and it's just like a very gentle process that's really rewarding. Got it. So while we're on, on the topic of meditation, and I feel like a lot of your art, which I noticed seemed very trippy and like it was coming from a spiritual source. So I wanted to ask you more about that. Do you have some sort of spiritual practice that also inspires pieces like that? Because the colors and the patterns and, and the themes were so psychedelic. So I was very interested in finding out what mm -hmm. the background for that were. Thanks. I just tend to think I'm not very good at color. I'm not subtle. So I enjoy saturated colors. Personally, I am not religious, but spiritual might be a good word. I do have mindfulness practice, which centers in a lot of focusing on gratitudes for the day, trying to redirect to positives, trying to feel your feelings and really be centered in where you are in the moment. As far as the colors and 
I wish I could say that there was some like true psychedelic backbone to them, but really it's just wanting to bring certain emotions or feelings evoked forward and the relationship that people have with certain colors, like reds and pinks being like hot and vibrant and sunny and exciting and greens and blues maybe being calm and tranquil and just working that into the space and the experience. It's fun though. I, I do enjoy like bright colors as well. I feel like I, I lived in Seattle for a bit and a lot Ooh. of days it was the street art and the mural that would add more color yeah. to my life than the setting over there. It's pretty yeah. dreary and people are going to give me crap for shitting on Seattle, but, but yeah. No, some... it's very gray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seattle's so cool though, because I liked how you would be walking down a hill and then up a hill and then you would suddenly see mountains. There would be mm -hmm. like small shops and then you'd pass a shop and then there would be mountains and this like back and forth about it. Oh, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful yeah. city. And uh, Seattle and Portland together, amazing places to live and amazing yeah. place for checking out art. I would definitely recommend if someone wants to move to Seattle or Portland, then they should do it for the nature and for the art and the artistic inspiration and community. Yeah. So that's it for my ad for Seattle and Portland. <laughs> he has presented the pros and the cons and you can make your choices. Yes. I noticed that you had a series of hand drawings. And so I'm curious to know, she has, a, by the way, those who are listening, she has a painting of a wolf in the background with a lot of hands surrounding it. So I'm wondering, is that one of your pieces? So this one is not, but I do love hands. I love drawing hands. I love hand imagery. This piece is by an artist, Corinne Reed. Hmm. I was at a convention when conventions were a thing and she had this flag displayed at her booth and I could see it from my booth the entire weekend and I was very inspired by it but it was very expensive so after the show I told myself I earned it and I'd been inspired by it all weekend and so I bought it and it hangs in every space that I'm in. I like wolf imagery a lot too. The red is in my Pantone, as some of you can see. So it's just a beautiful, inspiring piece that I love to have around me. Awesome. Actually, red is one of my favorite colors as well. I don't yeah. know, it's just, it has a very fiery quality about it and feel as artistic inspiration, that inner fire mm -hmm. that is drawing us towards creating. And I, I really love that color, so. It's a beautiful piece. Yeah. I must. Uh, Thank you. I must check out her work and, yeah. So, coming to your work with graphic novels and and comics, how did you get into that field? It's very interesting, and I want to also ask if you started off. Did you start off as a traditional visual artist and then transition towards illustrating? I don't know. I was just like a little nerd, <laughs> um, and. I I was always like reading manga, the Japanese comic books when I was in middle school and I had a gaggle of friends who were the artsy crew and so we were always drawing our own comic stories and making up our own characters. So I was very interested in storytelling, writing, and art. And as it got close to being an adult and going to college, uh, I was torn between going for writing or going for art. So I went with art and 
college was a fine but disappointing experience. Um, <laughs> we had to broaden our horizons from manga, which was good. <laughs> but I also learned a bunch of stuff that was not applicable. I'm glad I took one woodworking class and that was fine. But through college, I did get introduced to American comics, which when I say that, I don't mean superhero comics. I mean like uh, R. Crumb or what's his name? Charles Burns, Daniel Klaus, artists who didn't stick with me for inspiration, but it made me see that there were other types of comic illustration than what I was used to. So after graduating, I just self-published a comic. My school, Columbia College Chicago, had a grant that would help you with an artistic project. So I utilized that. I did a Kickstarter. I just went in naive. So if I had known how hard publishing and how strange the comic book industry would be, I might have gone in a little more tentatively, but since I didn't know, I just went in full force and it was good for a while. That's awesome. So have you always been a practicing artist professionally? Because I think that's one of the blockers for a lot of us, even myself included, and maybe some of our listeners is that we tell ourselves yeah. those stories that we can't do this professionally or we can't say we can't before we even try. So have you always been an artist? Yeah, that's really, I say yes. Okay, so have I always been an artist professionally? Yes, and. So upon graduating, I self-published a comic and I was going to comic cons, but I wasn't making enough to live off of. So I was also working as a barista. And then maybe a few years later, I was doing some projects with clients locally and still going to comic cons and also working with other people, but still not making enough to live off of. So I worked in a call center for two years. Yeah. <laughs> so I would work nine to five in a call center, uh, which was fine. It was for medical leave. So I felt ethically good mm -hmm. about it. But then I'd have to come home and draw or work for three more hours. So I often tell people that you can absolutely be a professional artist. You just have to compromise mm. something. So are you going to compromise your time? Are you going to compromise how much art you get to make? Or are you going to compromise being poor? And being poor is the one that I settled mm. with. So for a long time, I just accepted that I was going to have to really budget carefully and sacrifice certain fun things uh, that were costly in order to propel focusing on my career. Got it. That's a great story because I think what a lot of us do is that we kind of, we want to chart out this plan for 10 or 20 years but we don't even look at the next day. Maybe not even try it because yeah. I have to make X amount of money. I have to have a fancy Costco membership or you know all of that that goes yeah. into it. And we just lose track of what we're actually running towards. And that's great that you were able to do that for yourself. And I think it paid off, right? 
It did. It Right now, I have been fully freelance, 100% sustained by art for the past three to four years, which has felt really good. It's hard to say with the pandemic what you would mm -hmm. consider that. We'll all look back at this weird year and be like, how was I even <laughs> alive at all? What was I doing? <laughs> Um, but yeah, I would consider myself fully self-employed, no other job for the past four years. And being really critical about my finances has made me a more successful business person and has translated to the rest of my life. So I'm now at a point where I feel comfortable both in not having certain things and I know how to budget and save. And so I can have things that I might have not been able to afford before so it's a nice feeling but for a while it's really hard for people to accept that they will need to pack their own lunch as an adult on their way to work every single day you don't get to stop at starbucks and get a coffee and a danish and you don't get to go to chipotle for lunch and you don't get to go to after work drinks with your friends you go home and you eat a nice healthy homemade meal and you learn mm -hmm. to love cooking then you get back to work and you do it because and this is my soapbox society does not support the freelance artist and society does not support the entrepreneur and so you have to support yourself and put that relationship higher until you have a good enough foundation that you can start bringing in those other things that are normal for other people it's just you can't have it it's for a little true. while and uh, you're right we have to stop playing by the rules. If you want to make it as an artist yeah. or if you want to be a creator, then you have to stop playing by that rigged system where you have to think that I need to have these things to be happy or you need to redefine the rules and go for what you really want to have. And that commitment is really key. I'm glad that yes. you said that. Yes, redefine. Redefine is so good because that gives you power because you get to mm -hmm. determine what it is and it's not someone else saying it for you. And then it feels good if you're sacrificing something because you've defined exactly. it. Yeah. My next question is about when you do work for a client, how do you find your inner artist coming to that project? Because sometimes when you're working for someone else, maybe uh, there's some aspect of your inner artist that's not being fulfilled or there has to be a balance. Or if someone has, do you have enough creative freedom in your work? where you feel fulfilled even when you're working for others? Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why I had other jobs for so long too, because for me personally, it's hard. If I can't create authentically, it is like torture. I would rather be a barista and pour coffee or work in a call center than use my incredible skill that I've cultivated over years and years for anything less than what I want. So that's just going back to the sacrifices. And some people can do it. Some people, there are incredible professional artists, especially people who work in, uh, like for an advertising firm or a marketing company. And they're very skilled at what they do and they can separate the self mm. from the work. I just can't. <laughs> and so I have to be picky. I tried, absolutely, especially back in the comic industry. There were a lot of writers who wanted to work with a lady artist. It gave them like a special 
edge and the comic industry is very male dominated. So they wanted to be trendy, but it was never enjoyable for me. It was satisfying something for them, for their project. And it wasn't stuff I wanted to work on. So I learned pretty quickly to just stop saying yes to projects that weren't authentic to uh -huh. my artistry. So is the comic book industry somewhat similar to the video game industry with the toxicity and I'm just kind of going off like the recent reports about a lot of gaming companies which have a very toxic work environment for women and it doesn't really work out and all of their complaints go on deaf ears or was that your experience in the comic industry as well? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because the comic industry brought me some of my very best friends. There are incredible people and men specifically in the comic industry who are not misogynistic, who are not using it as a feeding ground for dates. They are out there creating incredible work and they want to share it and they are funny and kind and supportive. But because comics is so isolated where you're not going to a company or an office. You are an independent working in your studio. A writer is an independent working in their office and a publisher is somewhere else. There's minimal accountability. So when there are issues in the community, it seemed like things came out on Twitter and there was mass outrage and little result. So while I never personally experienced anything more than a minor annoyance, it is frustrating to be a part of an industry where you repeatedly see people being like just taken advantage of and nothing happens. It doesn't change anything. The young adult graphic novel industry is really great and really supportive. And there's a lot of new female artists or not male identifying artists. There's a lot more diversity coming up, but the classic old school superhero comic book industry dominates in these areas. And it's not something that ultimately is enjoyable to Got be a it. part of. So I'm, I'm really glad that you were able to find uh, being a muralist through the pandemic. I think the lockdown and the pandemic has been like a redefining and a reinvention experience for a lot of people. And yes. I'm glad that it worked for you as well. Yeah. Yeah, because to recognize that I don't enjoy so many aspects of the comic book industry at conventions, but conventions were a major source of income for me, then to have that taken away and have to find other ways to make income, but also to have to think about what kind of art would really make me happy. I've been so used to being a part of this industry for so long. Now I have this opportunity to reinvent, like you said, and going into murals has been a really incredible process Definitely. for me. So from an art perspective, what has been your most, most worthwhile investment? Oh, my iPad, 100%. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's like, oh my God, I was doing caricatures and drawings on paper. I don't know what I was doing for so long. Um, my friend, Derek Mawson, who is a professional artist, he got an iPad Pro 
maybe three years before I did. And he would show me the caricatures he did and the drawings and logos that he was scaling. And I was like, oh, that's nice. But, you know, it's a thousand dollars. I could never invest in that. Mm. It was ridiculous. I think the first month that I got it, I did a convention and it easily brought in more than its cost. And then it's an ongoing income booster. Uh, and I use it to create artwork for people. I use it to create my mock-ups for murals, which has been vastly helpful. Yeah, sometimes you just have to bite the bullet with technology and it will really, really reward you. Mm -hmm. And what's the learning curve like for a traditional artist or like a pen and paper or paintbrush and paint kind of artist coming to digital art? For me, it was the flow. So I really enjoyed working with micron pens or like technical pens and dragging it along the paper. And you could really feel that drag of the nib in like the Bristol board and see the ink. It's not the same when you're using the, excuse me, the, it's not the same when you're using the Apple pencil, even if you have a like papery surface on top of the tablet, mm -hmm. it's never going to flow the same. So that was the biggest learning curve for me. Got it. Because I myself has have considered maybe I should experiment with digital art. It's just the thing is I have that fear. Maybe the skills as a traditional artist or like those skills won't translate over and it's not going to work out or something, which is why I, I asked that question. They will translate and think about it maybe more like watercolor versus acrylics. You can't use the two tools the same. And so while your artistic skill innately will still be there, this is a different tool. And so you'll find things that you can do with it that you couldn't do with traditional mediums and vice versa. And you'll find both enjoyable for their own reasons. So I definitely recommend it to anyone interested. Um, also, it's very transportable. You can bring it with you anywhere. Um, lots of storage space. I personally use the app Procreate, which is really fun. And I've heard Clip Studio and even the Adobe Photoshop for the iPad are really nice. Mm. So I definitely encourage it. Got it. So do you have a self-care or a daily ritual practice that you have to do every day? to be fulfilled and, and have a productive and a worthwhile day? This question is hard for me <laughs> <laughs> um, because I used to, and now I currently live downtown as you may hear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I will be moving soon. So this is a temporary window of my life where most of my rituals are out the window. Mm. I am, living in flux. And so traditionally, I would really enjoy waking up, making coffee first thing in the morning while it's quiet. I'm an early riser. And then I would go into my studio and sit at my studio desk and the sunlight would be coming in and I drink my coffee and I would journal. And I found that to be a very grounding process. And I can still find windows of time that replicate that but it's not quite the same. And so I'm constantly feeling that like itchy 
rubbing sensation in myself of like not quite being on track. Like the gears are grinding just off the track. So I do find ritual and habit to be very helpful. So coffee is a <laughs> very specifically necessary part of my day. But also since I've worked as a barista for so long, there's like a nice habitual comfort uh, relational experience to it. That's more than just the caffeine. Mm -hmm. And then I have a pretty strong yoga practice and I go for walks a lot. So if I hit my 12,000 steps, then I generally am feeling clearer than if I don't. That's awesome. I was also a, a barista, but I, I lasted only sixteen. Yeah, I, was, I lasted only sixteen hours. This was in college. <laughs> oh, what happened? I want to hear this story because it's not for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened was I was a barista at NC State University, and my friend was kind enough to get me the job. It paid nine dollars an hour, which is mm. a million for a student, an international student at yeah. that. And I couldn't keep up with it and it was very difficult. And what happened was they had a recipe which I was supposed to completely internalize when I was working there. And yeah. I lost the recipe book on, on the first day. And then after fumbling my way <laughs> through a, a shift and a half, I was given a written test, okay? And mm -hmm. <laughs> I flunked the written test for making coffee. <laughs> so. After that, my supervisor came in and she said, we got to let you go. <laughs> so thank you. And I left. <laughs> Were you grateful to be uh, relieved from that job? How did you feel? I felt amazing <laughs> because yeah. I was like, thank you for putting an end to my misery. And the job was great for getting a social security number, but that was it. I, I earned... Uh, Nice. Uh, how much? 16 hours worth of pay. So $144 out of it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. How silly that they, they didn't train you ahead of time. They just kind of threw you in and hoped you'd have it memorized. They gave us some training. But what happened was like, I mean, I was in the morning shift at the start. And as you said, there are a lot of uh, early risers as students. So yeah. I think everyone would be like lining up for coffee and, and it's like the latte is like two thirds milk and one third water and the cappuccino is the other way around. And I may have, oh, no. I may have messed it up. <laughs> Already, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to call you out, but that was, <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> it's a good thing that, that I got into yeah. software instead of making coffee professionally. Yeah. Yeah. So, Man, and a barista who doesn't know their stuff can really ruin your day, too. <laughs> yep. And I'm glad I got out of that. Yeah. You also mentioned that cooking is one of those really soulful skills that you picked up. And I must say that I also picked up cooking driven by poverty and being like a student who didn't have yes. too much money in yeah. college. But I think I started enjoying it as, I, as the years went by. So talk about like how you discovered cooking. Yeah, I love that because it really, I like how you said you discovered it through poverty. And when things are hard, you either have the choice to be really disappointed and frustrated by it and kind of languish, or you can find some joy in it. And so 
it's a creative process of I like figuring out the budget and finding what's on sale or what low cost but also healthy items I can purchase and then combining them and I like making them aesthetically pleasing. It feels like I reinvented the rules for what good food is or what enjoying food is supposed to be like. It doesn't mean that I have to go out and have someone else prepare and present it to me. I can be the person who provides myself that experience, and that's very powerful. So I grew up in a household where my dad did most of the cooking. And by most of, I mean like every meal, every night, all mm. the time. So I actually didn't learn to cook until I was in college. Um, and I don't know about you, but did you have like a window of time where your cooking was not very good? Yeah, at the start a bit, but I learned first of my cooking from yeah. my mom and, and I think I, I got some of her skills in uh, genetically, I think, I don't know, but I've always enjoyed cooking. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I think the standard yeah. was set so high. If I had to live, then I had to get better at it <laughs> really fast after I moved to the US. Yeah. 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 My dad loves cooking, but he didn't show us anything. So I was actually pretty bad mm -hmm. early on. Um, I remember taking a meal with me to college to one of my classes and it was like pan fried chicken breast with no seasoning, just cooked through like purely white, <laughs> uh, canned tomato sauce and boiled noodles and I remember taking a bite <laughs> and really being like oh no I've done a horrible thing here this is really bad and realizing where the holes in my knowledge were and then learning from there yep uh, I think I had an yeah. experience where I think some food sensitivities made me cut down on tomatoes and I had to like find that uh, similar flavor profile and I love challenges like that with cooking, where you're asked to restrict some ingredient and then you have to discover a new way of bringing about yes. that taste. Um, I love baking, but I often run out of either eggs or milk. And so it's fun to look for recipes that might be like, so I want to make cornbread and I don't have eggs. So I look for a vegan cornbread recipe and what they mm. use instead or I want to make cornbread and I don't have milk. And so I look for ways I can do like a water, or oil or butter heavy cornbread. And so I'm never perfecting a recipe. I'm just solving problems or being mm. creative with that specific item that I want to eat that day. Yeah, and, and it's very difficult to follow a recipe for me. I'm always like, it's like a painting. It, it is different each time or yeah, sometimes yes. it's not as good, to be honest. Yeah, okay, you won't have a home run or a winner each time, but it's about having fun with the process yeah. and really connecting with that, that inner creator. And it's amazing that you like cooking as well. Yeah. And I, when I read that, I was like, oh, I, yeah. I should talk about cooking. Yeah, I love it because I actually put it on my like daily kind of gratitude list as something that makes me feel fulfilled for the day. And if I don't draw or do artwork, but I cooked something creative, I consider that a That's win. Awesome. Yeah. So before we close, if 
and I want to ask you if you were to give a billboard message to all those budding creators out there who want to get started and something is just holding them back what would you tell them and this billboard is like pretty long you can say anything you want yeah <laughs> it's a billboard they like pull on the road <laughs> and they read it not, it's not just a quick passing message <laughs> yeah it's weird because as someone who's had a lot of jobs that support my work one of the biggest things i say to people is to quit their day job so i think there comes a point in every creative's life where they're supported by their day job but they also have an increase in creative work and they're just doing a lot of both and so i often encourage people to quit their day job because i think of it as a security blanket which is extremely necessary for a point of time and to really see if your career has legs or you can scale or to say yes to bigger projects out of necessity you need to cut out the security blanket so like the training wheels and we all know experiences that we can make metaphors to where there comes a certain point in time where you need to get rid of that. So I'm always like quit your job <laughs> if you're feeling that pull where it's becoming too much. Don't give up on your creativity. Give up on the other thing that's not fulfilling you because you will always find another job. Like I promise you that. There is so much work out there. But really giving your creative life a chance and giving it the time and attention it deserves is like a really special mm -hmm. gift. Also drive safe when you're reading Ali's billboard. <laughs> yeah, please. It's really long. Maybe pull off and take a photo. Um, yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much Ali. It has uh, been an absolute pleasure having you on. And if you haven't done it already, please follow Ali at cantorella.inc. on Instagram and that's also her website it is cantorella.inc she does amazing illustrations of your pets and she does amazing artwork is commissions and if you want to check it out just go to her website and get one for sure if you enjoyed this episode be sure to subscribe to our channel at the art conduit follow the art conduit on Instagram and please subscribe to our newsletter at theartconduit.com Slash subscribe. Thank you so much. See you next week. Mm -hmm.